Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Nadia Bennett. Nadia is a school turnaround strategist and former educational leader that made huge strides in the New Jersey education system during her 15 plus years of service. During her time as a school leader, she was able to double the success, race, success rate of English language arts, ELA, test scores in her students, increase student attendance, and boost teacher retention. In 2017, as principal of the Simon Gratz Mastery Charter School, the school topped the Philadelphia Charter School performance profile. Even the New Jersey Department of Education said she was responsible for restoring faith in a district that had taken a turn for the worse. Nadia has been in the trenches and took everything she has learned when she was a school in the school system and founded When Brown Girls Lead, an educational consulting firm that specializes in creating psychologically safe, authentic, and brave spaces for Black women to access and succeed in K-12 leadership roles. When she and her team accomplish, what she and her team accomplish is monumental, but here is a glance of what they provide, which is anti-racism training, one-on-one leadership coaching, and leadership development. Welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the intro. <laughs> well, it's great to have people on who have made great changes in school systems and uh, can uh, lead some of their expertise uh, to listeners. So we'll start off with a uh, question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Absolutely. So a time when I was in the trenches would be when I was a part of the team uh, that turned around Simon Grass Mastery Charter School, which you uh, just mentioned. The school is in the heart of North Philadelphia, an amazing experience in place. And um, prior to the team arriving, the school had been on a persistently dangerous list for more than 20 years. Academic scores were in the sync with digits. Uh, attendance was extremely low and teacher retention was the same. I started there as a teacher, uh, then I became an assistant principal of instruction and eventually became the uh, high school principal. So <laughs> how we came out of the trenches um, is good old perseverance, uh, innovation, patience, uh, a willingness to adjust when needed and not just follow uh, a script because that particular environment required myself and the people in the organization to be willing to pivot, right? Because it was something new even for the organization itself. And eventually we got on the other side and we were off the persistently dangerous list and academic numbers increased, attendance increased, staff retention increased. So that is a trenches story that I would never forget Um, because it also was the beginning of my leadership in education, and it taught me skills that are just undeniable, and I still use to this day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So talk to me about how that work that you did in school leadership got you into what you're uh, currently doing in terms of working with um, districts and helping create a change model. Yeah, so how that worked, that is a that's a great question because it's a it's an internal and kind of mental shift that that work did for me. Um, and then also there's the practical and applicable part. So the internal and mental shift, I, that was, I came into education fully knowing that uh, black and brown children 
were underserved, right? It's in the statistics, it's in the data. They, they don't have as many opportunities as their white peers. They don't have as much access. We all know the numbers. Being in North Philadelphia, where it's, it's where I got to really see it firsthand, right? It's one thing to understand the theory. It's another thing to be in the midst of the practice and see firsthand how children's lives are being impacted, how families' lives are being impacted, how institutionalized racism has left this school and many schools that serve black and brown children in a place where they can't give them the education that they deserve. And that fueled me to carry out this work in a much greater yes, way. Not only serve the schools that I was leading, because I went on to turn around another district after that one, but it also fueled me to want to help uh, black and brown children, black and brown leaders nationally. You know, it's like if you have a gift, if you have a talent, I believe that it's our responsibility to live out that talent uh, while we have time here. So that's the internal and kind of mental and spiritual aspect of it. And then the practical aspect is Listen, you know the old term forged by fire? <laughs> There's just something when you are thrown in the midst of some really, really difficult work, there are things that you absolutely have to learn in order to be successful. There is no choice, right? And so just being in that very challenging situation, it taught me some skills that when I got out of that district, I realized, huh, most school leaders don't actually have to learn these things. And because they don't have to learn it, they don't actually have these skills. However, these skills would be beneficial for them if they knew them. And I began to serve leaders in that way. So I know you uh, talked in the pre-chat about um, using some of the reading uh, by Zaretta Hammond and um, how to create change within your um, locus of control, I think. But like you said, um, a lot of the things that you learned uh, when you were doing uh, great strides and change, it's good for all school leaders, especially those who work with students of color to know. So um, let's dive into um, also a piece of uh, that we know is a piece of the puzzle that's missing in a lot of districts that have a large number of students of color is that Black representation in school leadership um, is very low. And um, tell me a little bit, you wrote about this on your dissertation and some of the uh, data um, and how can we increase um, this representation? Absolutely. So uh, I always like to start with the data. And everything that I do whenever I'm working with schools, I help them to break their data down in a way that maybe they weren't looking at it before. So you spoke to my dissertation. So my dissertation topic is the lived experiences of Black female superintendents. The thing that led me to want to inquire more about that topic is that as of I learned this in 2018, but still as of 2020, less than 2% of superintendents nationally identify as uh, Black women, which is a huge disparity <laughs> in regards to um, how many Black females are in the world of education, how many Black and Brown females are in the world of education, et cetera. And so it began to just make me kind of wonder and question some things. And some things that I experienced myself firsthand is, you know, a lack of Black female teachers, a lack of Black male teachers, a lack of Black people in leadership overall. And so as I began to support schools with this work, one of the first things I helped them to do is, what does your data say, right? So your diversity data, meaning 
what percentage of your teaching staff and leadership staff identify as Black? I'm very intentional about saying teaching and leading staff because what I have found in my work personally, as well as the work that I do with the districts nationally, is that uh, there'll be a good number of deans that are Black, uh, a good number of school counselors that are Black, because those are the people that have to build relationships with the students. And it's so it's almost as if, well, you are Black, so it'll be easier for you to build a relationship with a Black student. And so we need people of color in those roles, uh, which is just another form of bias. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so I'm always intentional about saying teaching and leadership staff, because children need to see Black teachers, they need to see Black leaders. A goal that school should have is, does your teaching and leadership staff at a minimum reflect the student body? That's mm -hmm. the minimum. So if you serve, if 15% of the young people in your district identify as Black, 15% of your teaching and leadership staff should identify as Black. Mm -hmm. That's the minimum, right? And then from there, we can kind of build from there. So we start with the data to figure out kind of where we are. The next thing that we would do is Let's do an assessment of the HR or hiring team, however your district you know, titles it. Let's do an assessment of that department. Let's make sure that some implicit bias is not playing out in that department. So when I say implicit bias, this is what I mean. If everyone on your hiring staff that's making decisions about hiring, if they are all white, mm -hmm. is a very strong chance that they're going to interview more white people and hire more white people. If we assume the best, that's based purely off of how all of our brains are wired, which they're going to look for people that are in their in-group. That's just our that's just our brain, right? And so a person has to become aware of the biases that we all carry in order for them to act differently, to behave differently, and awareness is necessary there. So those are the two data points that we look at. And then from there, when supporting schools to change the numbers, we do things such as, well, are there any uh, black or brown teachers, I say paraprofessionals that you could build up, you know, train them, coach them on teaching, help them to get their certification, et cetera, so that they can become a teacher. That's one thing. We work to build uh, relationships with historically black colleges and universities. There are over a hundred in the country and they're often overlooked, they're everywhere. And really, it's just a matter of building a relationship with the dean of education. And when young people are coming out of the school, you're recruiting them into your district. It's mm -hmm. you know it's as simple as that. And then there are also organizations out there that literally their whole mission is this work, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a simple Google to see, okay, which organization can help me get more people of color on my teaching staff, on my leadership. Staff. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So those are some of the things that I work with schools to do. Mm -hmm. Could you name a few of the organizations? I know I put HBCUs, but... Um, if there was a school or a district that was looking to um, increase um, the number of uh, black and brown um, educators applying, what what other organizations could they look at? Yes, I would name one that I've worked with personally, um, mm -hmm. Center for Black Education. It's okay. led by a woman by the name of Sharif El Mekki. Okay. 
Um, and they can be found on LinkedIn, Instagram. Sharif's name is spelled S-H-A-R-I-F, capital E-L, capital M-E-K-K-I. You can also Google him. Um, but his, they work, this is a national goal for the organization that he founded. And he has a lot of support and backing from a lot of people nationally to build this up. But their goal is to increase the number of black male teachers in the classroom. Mm -hmm. They've been work for years and it's just, it's absolutely incredible work. And I've worked with him a lot in the past. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I've heard of him before. So I'll definitely add that to the show notes. Um, let's talk a little bit about management skills uh, for leaders that are um, leading schools. Um, you know, anti-racist pedagogy is essential today. And I've worked in different districts and some districts have it well implemented throughout the district, others not so well. So talk about some uh, management skills that every school leader should have before they can mm -hmm. really do the effective anti-racist work. Yeah, that's a, also a great question because I've always said this, if a school is not functioning well, beginning anti-racist work is going to fall flat. Yeah, That's just the reality, right? If you are not meeting the minimum requirements for strong management and leadership and helping the school to be productive every day and grow on a yearly basis, I actually don't advise districts to start anti-racist work because if it's just going to fall flat. And that's something mm -hmm. you don't want to fall flat. Yeah. Because <laughs> anti-racism work is very difficult for many, many people. And the mm -hmm. moment it doesn't go well, then those people that never wanted to do it will be able to point and say, see, we should have never yeah. started this. So the first things that schools want to do is as managers, as school leaders, I always make sure that the leaders have the uh, skill set of, are they managing their priorities well, Right. Do they have goals for the school year and do they have clear strategic plans to meet those goals? Has that school leader managed the art of a difficult conversation? Because that's just a part of the job, right? We have to both support individuals and hold them accountable. So does that leader feel comfortable having those kinds of conversations? Mm -hmm. um, have they struck that balance of support and accountability, mm -hmm. right? Um, do they prioritize self-care to avoid them burning out, mm -hmm. right? They know how to build relationships with teachers and with students. Those are all like fundamental leadership skills, right? And like I said, if I go into a school or district and they are not doing those things, I always like, let's pause on the anti-racism work. Let me support these leaders first to become more effective at their job. And then once I coach them up, then we can kick off the anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talk to me in the pre-chats like building a house, right? You can't support... Uh, the house without the foundation of the frame, which is exactly, uh, exactly. really getting yeah the management piece in order and uh, having having an effective team, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, so if you are helping um just in a school and helping the leaders really know how to lead, um, what's some of the advice that you can give them uh, when they're looking at supporting their teachers effectively, especially? Uh, we're recording this as we start the 23-24 school year. And, you know, there are some teachers that are still, I would say, kind of disgruntled or uh, burnt out still uh, post-pandemic, but they don't have that pandemic excuse anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we we sometimes have we negative cultures and, and teachers that are uh, maybe not fully putting uh, their presence forward. So what can leaders do in that circumstance? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely... <laughs> 
make sure that your staff knows that you value them as people, right? Because what a leader always wants to do is make sure that they are doing everything on their end prior to getting into that accountability piece with staff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do they know that you see them? Do they mm -hmm. know that you value them? Are you providing them with the resources that they need to do their job? Are you remaining open and collaborative as a leader? Right, because that's something that we just do in service as leaders. And uh, actually, can we pause? Can you ask the question one more time? So if you're uh, working with leaders who are leading teachers that might be uh, working in a culture that has uh, maybe been negative in the past or teachers have been disgruntled, uh, really kind of resetting things. Yes, that's the part that, that escaped me for a second. Yes, around like a, building a stronger staff culture and resetting the staff culture. Give a survey, right? <laughs> Give a survey that helps you to pinpoint exactly why people are displeased with what's happening at the school. Mm -hmm. um, from that survey, you want to name exactly what the data that you were able to glean and name that in front of the staff. Mm -hmm. uh, X percentage of staff is experiencing some frustration because A, B, and C did not happen. You definitely want to narrow the problem as much as possible because I've also seen leaders give a survey and they just like run in circles trying to solve everything. You want to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And so you want to name whatever the actual problem is. And then you actually follow through and try to solve that problem to build a stronger staff culture. Mm -hmm. be, open, be collaborative, start committees if you need to, et cetera. And then once you have done all those things on the leader end, after that, you got to really determine um, with, you know, your staff, is this a skill or a will issue? And mm -hmm. talking like, do you actually want to be here? Do you actually want to be here and do your job and you're just missing the skills? And those skills could be teaching skills or they could be interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be here and you're just missing the skills? Because skills you can build. Yeah. Or do you actually have the skills and you just don't really want to be here? And if you don't want to be here and because you don't want to be here, you're creating negativity for everybody around you, then I will happily coach you. I will help you solve your problem and I will happily coach you into a space where you want to be because remaining where you don't want to be is just going to create negativity for everyone around you and it's not worth it in the long run. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think just focusing on those things um, you know, I would say take it small, but um, like you said, don't start the anti-racism work differently until you have these things done and really finding out some of these um, these pieces that have uh, gotten the school culture to that place. Uh, well, we've talked we've talked a lot about some of the work that you do uh, with schools and um, helping them implement effective leadership and hire uh, more uh, black and brown educators. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I would like listeners to remember that there should be no fear in diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. The work is liberating and we should embrace it. And where fear does exist, you got to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Fear is natural. It's a, it's a human emotion. But remember the why, remember why it's important for the children that you serve, why it's important for the world, and do it anyway. Yeah, that's so important. Where can people find you online and connect with you? Yes, uh, NadiaBennett.com backslash podcast. 
Um, if they go there, they can sign up for a free resource on anti-racism uh, or on uh, effective leadership skills. And from there, they will get weekly emails from me about anti-racism work, breaking things down, more information, et cetera. They can also find me on Instagram at, uh, at when brown girls lead. Mm -hmm. And my website is nadiabennett.com. Okay, great. I'll make sure that is in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was great. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.